So we have been going through the series of the culture of we, God. What does that mean? Is the culture of making God first. We, the people of God, may taking God and putting him first in our lives. And we're looking at different individuals from the word, from the Bible, to, to be able to do that. To look at their lives and see how they put God first. Last week, Pastor Jason talked about Moses and how Moses put God first. This week, we're going to look at the life of Daniel. Okay? Now, I want to encourage you to please, throughout the week, try to read at least the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 through chapter 6, because we're going to be discussing. This is kind of like the, what we've been discussing today. But there's so much there. And I, my prayer for you is that as you go into the scriptures and you read for yourself those six chapters, that you will ask the question, God, what are you revealing to me? Right? What are you saying to me? How can this impact my life? Because what I'm sharing today is stuff that God was showing me, right? But, I, but he speaks to every single one of us. Amen? All right. Can we please stand as we read God's word? So we're reading from Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 3. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, and it goes like this. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who have been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Verse 6. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshat, and then Azariah was called Abednego. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the richness of your word. Thank you, God, that you reveal mysteries through your word, that you speak to us through your word, God, that your word is like a double-edged sword that pierces through flesh, through marrows, God, through bones. I pray that revelation would come to us from your word. I pray, God, that you will... Help us with your understanding and your own wisdom. I pray, God, that you would tell or make this word for every single individual here. I pray that we may have ears to hear what your spirit is saying. God, I pray that you will use this humble servant as you please. I pray, God, that my words will be that that come directly from your throne, God. And I pray that you will receive the glory, the honor, and the fame in Jesus' name. And, oh, God's people, say amen. amen. Good. So... Here we have Daniel. Who, who is Daniel? Daniel's a young man who lived in Jerusalem and he was taken from his land by the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. So he was brought into exile into uh, Babylon 
And it's believed that he was between 14 to 19 years old when he was taken captive. Now, that was a young man. And as we're going to see, there's some great, amazing things that happen in his life. So King Nebuchadnezzar then tells his, his officer to go and select some of the young men that have been brought into captivity. From the, those that came from, from Jerusalem. And so he goes and selects some men and he tells them they have to be good looking. I don't know why. They have to be good looking. They have to be smart. They have to get, be able to have wisdom, understanding. He wanted them trained in a specific way. He wants them trained for three years. And then they can go into service, into, into, the, into, the, the, into royal service. Now, what are they trying to do here? Well, they're trying to train this young man and remove what they have known, what they have known all their lives, and now interject and immerse them in Babylonian culture. That's what they're trying to do. But it's not only that. They, they, the brainwashing goes so deep that they even change their names. So to us, it's like, well, if I change my name, no big deal, right? Some of you, some of you may even have nicknames. That is not your real name, but you go by that, right? So it's not a big deal. But here in this context, it was huge. It was so big. Because the names represented who they were. It represented their identity. So let's take a look at Daniel, for example. So Daniel, Daniel's Hebrew name means God is my judge. His God. Yahweh. Jehovah. So his name was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Baal's prince. So who is Baal? Baal's the ruling god of the Babylonian pantheon. So now they're giving him that identity of being Bell's prince. Also, the other three young men, Daniel's friends, their names were changed. And the names were changed to, to represent that of three of the pagan deities of the Babylonians that were uh, Murdoch, Aku, and Nebu. And, but their original Hebrew names, this is what they meant. Hananiah means Jehovah is gracious. Mishael means who belongs to God. And Azariah means Jehovah helps. Do you guys see what's happening here? They're stripping them of who they are. They're taking away their identity. See, that's what the enemy is after. The enemy is after your identity, my identity. He's after our God-given identity. Why? Because as he takes away your God-given identity, then he takes away your purpose. That's what you were created for. And your destiny, that which God has already spoken over your life. When we relinquish our identity to what the enemy says, and then our purpose and destiny are taken away. You know what that does? That drives you farther and farther away from him who created you. It creates distance between you and God. It creates distance between you and your father. 
That's exactly what they're trying to do here. Strip these young men of their God-given identity. When I was preparing this message, I felt this word, and it may apply to, to someone here. God wants you to live your life according to who he says you are. I'm going to say that again. God wants you to live your life according to who he says you are. Not what the world says. Not what your own flesh tells you. Not what the enemy whispers. But who he says you are. And I trust that if you draw closer to him, he's going to reveal to you more and more who you are in him. Amen. So Daniel lived under incredible pressure here. Incredible pressure. He lived in an unbelieving, idol-worshipping, pagan culture that had no regards for the God of heaven. They have no regards for the King of kings and Lord of lords that Daniel knew. But despite this environment, Daniel found himself in, he remained faithful to God. Not only did he remain faithful to God in this environment, Daniel thrived. And not only did Daniel thrive, he made God's name famous in this society. Let's take a look at three areas in Daniel's life that when Daniel was experiencing extreme pressure. He was facing just incredible pressure in his life. These three areas were cultural pressure, religious or spiritual pressure, and political pressure. But first, I want to take a look at the word pressure. I, I know that many of us do understand the meaning of the word, but I want to, I want to actually give us the, the actual definition for this context so that we can feel it a bit more. The word pressures mean the use of persuasion, influence, or intimidation to make someone do something. Here, that's when you put pressure on someone. Now, I want you to think for a moment of a time in your life when you face extreme pressure. Think about whatever it is. Could be any of those three that I mentioned that Daniel was facing, cultural, spiritual, or political, or it could be something else. But think about that time. You face incredible pressure. Because as we continue to unpack Daniel's life, then I have a question for you about when we face the pressures of life. Okay? Are we awake? Are we alive? Please say yes. <laughs> we will be in trouble. We call the 911 quickly. All right. Let's begin with cultural pressure. Cultural pressure. So Daniel found himself in this culture very different than the one that he came from. And he, it wasn't his choice. He found himself in this culture. And he didn't say, hey, I'm taking a bus. I'm hopping on a plane and going here to Babylon. No. He was taken from his home. He was saying he had no choice, but he did have one choice. However, he had this choice. Is he going to allow this culture that he finds himself in to change him 
or is he going to be an agent of change in that culture? Good news, family. We face the same dilemma. Are we going to allow our culture to change us? Or are we going to be changing agents within our culture? I truly believe that Daniel chose to be a changing agent. And I think that we're going to get a really good picture about how he went about doing that. In Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. The Bible says that Daniel was determined not to be not to defile himself. What does that mean? He was determined not to defile himself. Why? Well, they were giving him food from the king's kitchens, right? Which by the way, it is a great honor in that culture. By the way, What Daniel is doing here in this passage from chapter 1, verse 8 to chapter 1, verse 14 is completely countercultural. Because what happens here is Daniel goes to his attendant, the one that's taking care of them, and says and asks permission not to eat this food. He asks for permission not to eat this food. And he says... Can you, can you please give us permi- give permission f- for us not to eat these unacceptable foods? The truth of the matter is that Daniel knew that there were laws that the Jews abided by when it comes to food. You can find Levit- Leviticus chapter 11, um, Deuteronomy chapter 14. You can find there were many laws and rules concerning food. And guess what, Daniel, it could be a high probability that the foods from the king, from the king's kitchens were offered to idols, which it was a big no-no. And so Daniel's saying, I'm not going to defile myself, right? I'm not going to tarnish myself. I'm not going to spoil myself, so to speak. So he asked for permission not to eat it. This is counter-cultural. Because in this context, in this time, it is not like us right now, right? We, need a, we, live, in a, in a, we live in a democratic environment, a democratic political system that if the president invites you to the White House, you could turn him down. You can turn him down because you don't agree with him, and that's fine. Here, what the king says goes. And you don't like it, you get your head taken off. That's the context. It's also countercultural because Daniel is being offered the king's food. It is a privilege, as I already said, as I stated. Anybody else in that kingdom that you said, the king wants you to eat the food from his kitchens. <gasps> what an honor, right? But not Daniel. He was not going to be shaped into this culture. He was going to shape culture. There's something else that happened here in this conversation between this attendant and Daniel. The Bible says that God had already given favor to Daniel. So the guy liked Daniel. 
This guy already liked Daniel. God had given him the favor. So it says he had respect and affection for Daniel. But this guy had a problem because the request that Daniel had made was so countercultural that he knew it. And he told Daniel, I can't do this. I'm afraid. If I do what you requested, I get my head taken off. If the king sees you and your friends, right? And after all this is said and done and you guys come back and you're pale and skinny. They're going to blame it on me. So he was in the predicament. He was in a pickle, right? But what did Daniel do? First, he asked for permission. Which I find fabulous. That shows me that he understood authority. That he understood respect and honor for authority, which sometimes we lack, if I may be honest. Because I would have been one of those that would have said, you know what? I'm not eating that food. You go find me vegetables and water so I can honor my God. That's the position that so many times we take. I may be wrong, but that's the approach that we take. He asked permission. And then, listen, then this is what he did that is so fabulous and amazing. Then, when the man told him that he was afraid, he cared about the men's fears. Why? Because he said, just test us then. Test us just for 10 days. It's not going to cost you anything. Just test us. Just 10 days. Give us just vegetables and waters. and, and, And then you can see. You can make your decision. What this shows me, he had compassion for the men's predicament. Guys, there are fears that just permeate our culture, that just ravish our culture. And so many times as believers, we turn a blind eye. We try to say, well, you shouldn't be afraid. Well, really? We need to be mindful of the fears in our culture. Why? Because who can do exactly what Daniel did here? Daniel said, test us. And this is important. This is important, church. Daniel was basing this testing on the knowledge of who God is. Daniel was, this testing was not about winning an argument. He's not trying to win this, win this man with an argument. He's not trying to win this man by saying, I'm right, you're wrong. He's just saying, test us. And Daniel understands that if he is faithful to God, so God has said, you have to obey me in this. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. Eat this. Right? And Daniel understands, if I obey what God has already spoken, then God will come through for me. Because he is trustworthy. Because he is faithful. And that's who I know him to be. Right? Daniel was standing in the promises of God. Deuteronomy 28. One says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the world. He knew it. Obey God. You'll be lifted up. Disobey God. Not going to work for you. Can you guys put that quote from A.W. Tozer? Why did Daniel, what was Daniel able to do this? 
This is what A.W. Tozer says. We can never know who or what we are till we know at least something of what God is. Simple yet so profound. You will never know who you are unless you know at least one thing, at least something about who God is. Why? Because see, I could find myself in a pickle, right? I could find myself in, in some trouble. And someone could come and say, Raphael, you are reaping what you sown. God is punishing you. Huh? So is God my punisher? Is that what I know about God? But listen, if I know my God as my loving father, I don't take on that label. I don't take on that lie. Why? Because I understand that I have a heavenly father who loves me, that he loved me so much that he gave the most precious possession, his only son, for me. So you saying that God is here to punish me doesn't match what I already know about him. Does that make sense? And Daniel knew his father. He knew that God would come through. He would come through with them, for them. So, as the story goes, he tested them. They look amazing. So, he just allowed them to eat vegetables or water. (laughs) Uh, Don't do that. Some of you do. And I bless you in the name of the Lord. I like meat a lot. All right. What other pressures was Daniel facing? Religious and spiritual pressure. So because of Daniel and his friends then, after these three years they graduated, they were doing so amazing. Then they go into to serve into the into service in their royal in their in their kingdom. So Every time that the, uh, the king will call them and consult them, they were ten times, they were found ten times more equipped for judgment and wisdom than any other magicians and sorcerers and astrologers, all of them, every time. So that's great. Now they put them in the kingdom, they put them to work for the king, and that's amazing. There was a problem now. They met them... They were for, they were for the, the king's wise men. But the problem is that the king had a dream. So the king has this dream, and then he calls, he summons all of the wise men in the kingdom. And then he tells them, he says, I, I've had this dream that is troubling me. I can't sleep. So I need you all to interpret this dream for me. Okay? And they say, okay, king, tell us the dream. He says, no, 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 no. (laughs) I'm not telling you the dream because I don't want you to manipulate me by giving me an interpretation that you think I want to hear. So this is how we're going to do this. You're going to tell me my dream and then you're going to interpret my dream. (sighs) Boom. I will fall over right there. (laughs) What do you mean? I tell you your dream. Yes, exactly that. This is amazing. This is the beginning of a setup for God to do something amazing and incredible through Daniel and to show himself to this king. 
This is what happens. Chapter 2, verse 11. This is what the wise men, all the magicians and sorcerers and all those um, came and told the king. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream. And they do not live here among us. <laughs> this is awesome. You know why? Because they're setting the stage. They're saying, king, this is impossible. No one can do it. Only the gods. And they don't live here. So it can't be done. <laughs> oh, really? This is what happens then after that comment. The king gets furious. He's like, okay, so you guys are good for nothing. So kill all of them. So he puts out a decree to kill all of the wise men in the land. So if you can't tell me my dream, if you can't interpret it, why am I going to have you around? So kill all of them. So as the officer goes in looking for Daniel and his friends, because they're part of that group as wise men, right? They go to his house. They go to Daniel's house and they say, we're going to kill you. And Daniel's like, hold up. Why? What do I do? And then the officer tells him what happened and the decree that the king puts forth. And he's like, oh, um, can you give us some time? Can I go to the king and ask him for a little bit more time? Sure, go tell him. But And then so Daniel goes and he asks the king for more time to be able to reveal this mystery. It is amazing how this whole thing unfolded. Because Daniel is in tremendous pressure, tremendous religious pressure to provide the king with a religion, a religious response, right? Have you ever been in a position when someone expected you to provide a practical response to a spiritual matter? Yeah. Practical response to a spiritual matter. That's what's happening here. And Daniel's life depended on it. It depended on his answer. So what did Daniel do? See, religion is based on what I can do. Religion is based on what I need. Religion is based on me being exalted and elevated. Relationship with God is about what Christ has done. Relationship with God is about what he needs and what he wants and how he wants to do it. What did Daniel do? He went to his friends. Daniel went to his friends and said, guys, pray. This is what's happening. Pray. Which, by the way, if you're a young adult and you are coming to our young adult retreat on August 9th at Camp Rivercrest, we're going to unpack this just a little bit more. Talking about Daniel and his friends. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have a great time. So Daniel, Daniel's approach was completely different than the rest of the wise men. They were depending on their own wisdom and their own understanding. They were depending on themselves. They had no other source. Sad place to be. But Daniel had a greater source. And when Daniel found himself under this religious spiritual pressure, he went to his friends and said, guys, we need to pray. This is amazing. Daniel, again, relying on God's character, understanding God's faithfulness. So after inquiring of the Lord or asking the Lord or praying, however you want to word it, that same night, the secret was revealed to Daniel, the Bible says. And it's interesting to me because in Daniel chapter 2, verse 20, Daniel begins praising God. 
He begins praising God. And you know what's interesting? Why is that interesting? Because he had not gone to the king yet. And why are you praising God if you don't really know that the revelation that you receive is the right revelation that the king is going to accept it? Again, you can only do that if you already know that your God is faithful, that your father is faithful. If you know of his character, Daniel started praising without really knowing for sure, for sure, like in the in the physical realm that I get it right. And he starts praising God and thanking God for the answer. So then this is what happens. Then he goes, he goes to see the king. He goes to see the officer and say, hey, got the answer. Say, okay. So go to the king. They take him to the king. And then in, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 26, then the king said to Daniel, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? This is Daniel's response. Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven. Can you guys say that with me? But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. Verse 29. While your majesty was sleeping, you, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. This is such a profound interaction between King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Just so amazing. The king calls him in. So imagine this, j just the scenario. The officer goes to the king, hey, that Daniel guy, one of your wise men, he says he has the answer. Okay, bring him in. He shows up. Hey, is it true that you can, do you have the answer? And then Daniel says, no, I don't have the answer. Nobody can. But then he says, but I know someone who has the answer. I can help you, but I don't know who can. Mind blowing. Daniel is taking the position here of understanding that that which I possess, that gifts and talents that I have, they're not mine. And if I ever think that I can do this on my own, I will fail. That's called humility. Understanding that he is greater than I am. That it is for his glory and for his fame, for his honor. Pastor Mark talked about, uh, Pastor Jason talked about humility last week. And Pastor Mark uh, preached on humility and the gift of humility this past Wednesday night. And it was amazing. He talked about how, you know, Moses had a, a, a proud spirit at the beginning, but how humility is actually developed. And you could see it in Moses' life. And he gives us examples of how you look at Moses' life and he was all these things that he faced. And you go from proud to complete surrender and humility before God and before men. And how is humility developed? By worshiping and praising God. 
Why? Because as you exalt and elevate him, you realize I'm not all that. And as you begin to experience what he's able to do compared to what we're able to do, you realize I'm not all that. Which is exactly what Daniel is saying here. It's not because I'm anything special, King, but it's because the one who reveals secrets wants to show you. Do you guys know, church, that this is our one calling? This is our calling. Our calling is to reveal this miracle-working God, secret-revealing God, the one that transformed the water into wine, the one that transformed lives and changes them forever and ever, gives them purpose and a destiny to go and accomplish things that no human being has ever been able to do. That is our calling, to reveal that God to those that do not know Him. Praise God. We must reveal this God even to government. Even to government. See, the king here, he was part of the government, the political system of that empire. I'll tell you guys this, and this happened Saturday, yesterday, as I was finishing this up, and I was in my office and God was speaking this. And listen to me if you're a young individual, young man, young woman. God is going to rise up. He's going to rise up some young people from this congregation that will be infiltrated into government for the purpose of bringing him glory and fame. For the purpose of bringing him glory and fame. Being able to use the gifts and talents that God has given you and has designed you with, that as you humble yourself before him, that he can use you to do what only he can do through you in our government. Amen. Amen. So, now, see, still today, government needs a wisdom, right? They need, they need God's wisdom. And Daniel was willing to provide it. And this is not based, it's not based on agreeing or disagreeing. Right? That's not the basis for this. Because do you guys think that, um, that Daniel agreed with King Nebuchadnezzar's policies and with his laws or even with his beliefs? No. And if we were not at church, I would say something other than no. <laughs> Some of you that know me know what I'm saying. But he's not about that. He doesn't agree with King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, King Nebuchadnezzar was the one that besieged his city and his town and killed people and destroyed his town and took them captive, right? And now he's serving this man. And now he's saying, I'm just sent over here to reveal to you the one who can answer all the secrets. Mind-blowing. You know why? You know why Daniel can do that? Because Daniel understood one thing. He was not agreeing with King Nebuchadnezzar's policies and with his government structure and with his the unbelief. But look at verse 30. In verse 30, it says, so Daniel tells him, it's not because I am any better than any of these men, but he says, um, so it's not because I'm any wiser 
that God has revealed uh, your secret, but because God wants you to understand what is in your heart. It's not because I'm wiser, but it is because God wants you to know what's in your heart. God is revealing what's in your heart. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that God is interested in a king who doesn't serve him? Who's a murderer? Who is an idol idol worshiper? God is interested in revealing what's in his heart? Yes. He is very much interested in that. Can he do that? Yes. He can. Especially when we're willing to be used by him and to get out of the way. Just like Daniel did. Willing to be used by him and to get out of the way. Guys, I'm going to share something very, very complex and profound with you right now. Very theologically complex, but I hope you understand this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Do you want to hear it? So, listen. God wants people that don't know him to know him. And guess what? He wants to use you to do it. Is it that complicated? It's not. But we've made it. To, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be. Uh, I am. Never mind. <laughs> oh, it's crazy when you have voices in your head. Yeah, I am. But um, it is not any more difficult than that. God wants people that don't know him to know him. Comma. And he wants to use you and I to do it. Amen. Amen. If we are about God's business, he'll be about your business. Because he was very much about Daniel's business. All right. Um, yeah, Pastor Jason, I did not have this story in my, in my notes, and I wasn't going to share it because it's long, but this is third service, and so you guys get it. And Pastor Jason's like, you got to share a story because we realize that God still speaks. God was speaking then. He still speaks today. He's going to speak tomorrow, and he's no respecter of persons. That means that when he spoke to Daniel, he could still speak to Raphael, who was born in an island somewhere and ended up in Omaha, Nebraska from New York City, and he can still do it with you. You can tell me, well, well, you don't know where I was born. You don't know my life circumstances. You don't know where I come from. You don't know everything that I've walked through. I don't know none of that, but I know God. And I know that he's very much interested in revealing himself to you in a very tangible, practical way so that you may do the same with others. That's what I know. So this is what happened. I go to lunch with a friend of mine. And so, so we're at lunch and we're sitting there. And, uh, and this lady, this young lady comes up and she, she got tats all over, right? And I'm looking at the tats, and, and I, all of a sudden, I'm like, hmm, I sense, I feel like God wants me to say something to her. So I'm looking at the tattoos, right, because people that are tatted, you know, they they always want to talk about their tattoos, right? It's like, you know, you can have a good, deep, you know, God conversation just by asking somebody with a big old skull in their, in their, in their bicep, like, what does that mean? Oh, they want to talk about their tattoos. So I'm thinking that's maybe what God wants to do. So she comes over and she has all these tats. 
And, uh, and I'm looking, and she's serving us, and, and I'm like, no, I'm not feeling it. Like, I don't feel like that's what God wants to do. And then she goes, she brings us water and whatever, and then she leaves. And I'm like, man, and I'm talking to my friend, and then she comes back. And I'm like, it's not the tattoos, what is it? And she's bringing us our salads, and then she has, I look at her, and she has this great big smile. But it was interesting because she did not look like a person that would be comfortable in her own skin, if you know what I mean. And so... I'm like, huh, smile. And then I'm like, oh, okay. And then I tell her, I say, hey, you know what? Your father loves your smile. And she literally looked at me like, what? She's like, I've never known my father. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not talking about your earthly dad. I'm talking about your heavenly father, right? This is what she did. She looked at me and said, oh, that's awesome. Because my wife and I have been so blessed lately. Hey, exactly. Oh, she was looking for a reaction, right? You know what came out of my mouth? I say, good. I'm glad that you and your wife are experiencing the blessings and the, and the greatness of God because he wants to reveal himself to you. And he loves your smile. She walked away, said, thank you. And she walked away. My friend was literally like this. Uh, what just happened? Listen, in that moment, I had two choices. Am I going to love or am I going to judge? And I chose love. Why? I'm going to tell you why. Because I was loved before I was judged. I was not worthy of God's love. There are hundreds of people that we encounter. That are not worthy of his love either. Whew. That wasn't supposed to happen. All right. Let's move on to Daniel's last pressure. That I encounter as I was reading the text. And it was political pressure. Now, Daniel served four different kings of a time span over 70 years. Many of us in this room have not even lived that long. And again, he was faithful to serve. And here in chapter 6, we see King Darius, the Mede. And he chose Daniel and two other advisors, administrators, in order to supervise the high officers and to protect the king's affairs. High position. Three dudes. Daniel's one of them. But again, he's a Jew. He does not believe what the Babylonians and the Persians believe. He walks different, talks different, eats different, and prays different. But yet he finds himself there. With an assignment from God. He's serving a culture and a religious system and a political system that does not honor his God. But there's Daniel doing a great job. He's killing it. He's doing amazing. And something happens. Everybody around him begins to notice that Daniel's killing it. That he's doing amazing. That he's doing a great job. They get jealous. So due to the jealousy of these politicians, 
that are serving with Daniel. They want to institute a law with the sole purpose of catching Daniel slipping. To catch him at fault for something. So this is what they do. This is what they, they, they go. Uh, this is how they go about this whole thing. Daniel chapter 6 verse 6. It says so the, the administrators and high officers went to the king and said. Long live, the, long live King Darius. We're all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown in the den of lions. So then the king thinks this is a great idea and he passes that law. How many of you have been unhappy with a law that has been passed? I know that there's only two hands, more than two hands going up in here. Yes. What's interesting is in verse 7, they say, we all are in agreement. Uh, Daniel wasn't part of this party. He's one of the officials. He's a higher ranking officer. But he's not part of the meeting. You know what that is? A lie. We're all in agreement. That's a lie. Do you think that the, the enemy is going to play fair? Lie. You think that he's not going to go after you in some wicked, conniving, just really sneaky way? Lie. See, they wanted to catch Daniel on something. And they were looking to see how they can find him some fault and they couldn't find anything. The only thing they knew was that he trusted, he trusted God and that he was faithful to obey the rules and the laws of his king. This is what it says in Daniel chapter six, four and five. This is what they found in Daniel. Are you ready? He was faithful, always responsible and completely trustworthy. Faithful, responsible, and completely trustworthy. I want that to be said about me. I want that when people look at the, at the lives of people at Good News Church, that they can say they are faithful, responsible, and completely trustworthy. They knew that they, only, they could only find faults by looking at Daniel and his religion, right? Now, in Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, 10 and 12, then here's what happens. That law is passed, and they went straight up to Daniel's house. The law was signed. They went to Daniel's house, and what did they find? Verse 10 says, but when Daniel learned of the law that had been signed, he went home, knelt down, as usual, in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. Can we say just as he had always done? Giving what? Wait a minute. <laughs> There's a disconnect here. There was a law just signed that if you pray, they're going to throw you to the kiddies. 
right? Wasn't that what I just read? But he is going to do what he always does, as usual, to his same spot. And he begins thanking God. (laughs) Either he is a lunatic or Daniel knows something about his God. Either he is completely, he has completely lost his mind or he knows that his obedience to his God is more powerful than any law, than any king or any president or government can sign into law, any decree. You know, Daniel did not go to the king to try to prove his point, which is probably what I would have done. Because I would have gone to the king and say, King, why did you sign this into law? And the king would have said, well, they came and they said, everyone is in agreement. And I would have said, no, 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 no. I wasn't part of that meeting. Can we call the minutes to the, to the meeting? See, I wasn't there. You guys understand minutes to a meeting? Okay, for the younger generation, whenever you have a meeting, there's notes that are taken in the meeting. So you know when you look back what the meeting was about. That's what minutes of a meeting, because I've got to be mindful of those that are here that may not understand that. So I would have tried to defend myself to the king, but Daniel did what he had always done. He went to pray. He went to pray, to call upon God, to thank God. What was he thanking God for? I would love to hear that prayer. If I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Daniel, why did you pray? What were you thanking God for? I want to know. But I venture to say that Daniel was saying, thank you, God, that you're faithful. And thank you that you're using me to show your power here in this society, in this wicked culture. Right? Man, that's amazing. All right, guys, can you stand We've gone a little longer, but we can blame Pastor Jason because he made me add stuff. (laughs) Just kidding. Daniel gives us a great example, a very powerful example, example of how to live a righteous life in the midst of a society that wants nothing to do with God. This is a great example, a very powerful example. Daniel used his God-given abilities and talents to show those that did not know God, to show them God. Earlier, we were singing, how great, how great is our God. How great is our God, and all will see how great is our God, right? And God was stirring up, stirring me up, saying, yeah, I am great. Yeah, and they will see, but they won't see unless you show them. And that's the reality. The question is, when the pressure hits, when pressure increases, are we going to compromise, church? Are we going to compromise? Every single one of us faces pressures. We have the pressures. We may have the same pressures of culture, spirituality, or religion, and politics. There are some of the pressures. 
But the key is, how do we respond? Daniel always went to prayer. Daniel always put God first. My pressure hit. I want to pray with, with those of us that are perhaps facing some incredible pressure right now in your life. Just take a moment. This is very important. So please focus on what God has been saying to you already, what he wants to do right now, right here. Because there's two parts of a service that are highly important. That's when we give him praise and worship to Jesus at the beginning because he doesn't have that unless we give it in this moment right here when he's been speaking directly to you and now you get to act on what he has been saying to you. So you are under incredible pressure. Just come to the front. We call this the altar. And they may confuse some. But all it is, is just a place where we meet God. See, in the altar in the Old Testament, there were sacrifices that were brought to God. In the altar in the Old Testament is a place where you met with God. So right now, you're under incredible pressure. And there's pressure from different sides. Things, there, there's things that want to cause you to do certain things in your life, right? So now you come just as Daniel. And Daniel faced pressure. He prayed. So right now, it's not about anybody coming and laying hands on you, but about you praying and calling out to God yourself. Perhaps you are, you are somebody that is seeking to be used by God. You want to use your God-given abilities and talents, right? To make Him known. Listen, and when I say that, I'm not only talking about prophecy, I'm not only talking about dream interpretation and I'm not talking about you you have a great ability to sing or to draw things like that. I'm talking about whatever ability God has given you. Whatever talent God has given you, he wants to use you to reveal him to the lost. And if you want to do that, if you're willing to do that and you're saying God, I want you to use me, just come up here to the front. And again, it's nothing really special about this up here other than getting you out of the comfort of where you're already standing. It's movement. It is action. And things don't happen unless you act on it. If you do not act, then it, all it is is just a good thought. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Family, if you're standing in your pew, you need to be praying. We need to be praying together. We need to be praying for everyone that has come over here. People under great amounts of pressure. People that want to be used by God and the talents and abilities that God has given them. And now I want to pray specifically for those that have no idea about this God that I've been talking about. You are kind of like a Babylonian. You're, you're just hearing this Daniel dude doing some crazy stuff. And you're like, what is he talking about? I don't get it. That's fine. Just like Daniel introduced Nebuchadnezzar to his king. Will you allow me the opportunity to introduce you to my king? Will you give me the privilege to introduce, introduce you to the one that will touch you and you'll never be the same? If that's you and you have never given your life to Jesus, or perhaps you did some time and you went away and now you're here again today, I want to see your hand. Just lift your hand high and proud, okay? If that's you, 
Because what I'm asking you to do is come right here. Not down there, right here with me. And I want to personally pray with you and talk with you. Because I want to introduce you to this king. Anybody? Can't see anybody up there. Okay. Good. All right, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for all you're doing here today. Thank you, God, that when pressure comes, we can trust you. Thank you, God, that when life gets difficult, we can trust you. Thank you, God, that is in depressing, in the press that what's inside comes out. And I pray, God, that you will fill your people with your spirit. That when we are pressed, God, that your spirit will come out of us. God, help us. Help us to reveal who you are to the lost. God, help us to use the gifts and talents and abilities that you have given us to introduce those that don't know you to you. Thank you for your people. Thank you for you doing for what you're doing. I pray blessings in their lives. In the name of Jesus.